Thank you for listening to the Cathedral Church Podcast. We hope this resource inspires you and equips you to walk in everything that God has for you. The last two weeks we've been speaking on 2020 vision, a three-dimensional view. In part one, we did speak of that three-dimensional view that Joshua had as he looked at the past prophecies his present alignment with those promises and then future fulfillment. It's important that you align yourself with God's promises so that you can bring about their fulfillment. We talked about what the mature should take, such a view, Paul said. And so we we talked about taking responsibility and that it was time for you and I to be. Just be, not talk about it, but be. Because faith without action is dead. We talked about mobilizing the troops in part two. That the mobilization of God's people begins with motivation fueled by love. We talked about uh, responsibility and a sense of duty. And we talked about the fear of the Lord and the rewards of God. But the greatest motivation on planet earth is that compelling love that grabs us. The compelling love of Christ, as Paul said. And that's the greatest motivation you can have, to be motivated by love, to see the kingdom of God advance, to see people's lives transformed. We also, in part two, talked about fighting the battle well. He said, fight well with the promises that you've been given. Pick them up like a sword and fight and fight well. But to fight well, a spiritual fight requires a spiritual sword. You've got to take up the sword of God's promises and you've got to fight. In Exodus chapter 6, and you can read this later in your private devotion, verses 6, 7, and 8, God said to Israel, and listen, and this is another message for another day. It's a standalone, but in in those few verses, God said to Israel seven times, say seven. seven, perfect number, completion. He said seven times, I will. He said to Israel, I will. I will deliver you from Egypt. I will break their bondage off of you. Seven times God said, I will. But here today, in this moment, I want to ask you the question, what are we willing to do? God is willing. But what about you and I? What are we willing to do? You see, prophecy is not what will happen. A prophecy is what God intends to happen. This is what God intends to happen. God will give you a prophetic promise, but then you have to activate it. You have to fight with it. You have to believe it. Amen? A prophecy that God gives you, a promise that God, that God gives you, it's what God intends for you. It's the possibilities of your future. That's why we speak so much about the double-edged sword, the distomos of God's word. It takes God saying yes, but you saying Amen. That's why we've been speaking on 2020 vision, a three-dimensional view that I have God's promises, I see their fulfillment in the future, but I have to have a present reality or I have to bring myself in alignment with those promises so they can be fulfilled. So a prophecy in your life, a word that God gives you is what God intends. It's the possibilities. It's what God wants to do for you, but you have to activate it. You have to believe it. The Bible says, according to your faith, so be it. And so you have to believe and activate those promises. So concerning your future, remember God said seven times, I will. Concerning your future, what 
are you prepared to do? In Joshua chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, we've been speaking of Joshua's three-dimensional view. And here in this first chapter we read, Then they answered Joshua, Israel, speaking, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will, we will fully obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Notice he said, whatever and wherever, what are you prepared to do? Father, bless the reading of your word today. Speak to your people. Give us revelation, insight, motivate us. Father, inspire us. May we step up. And may we be willing to do and go wherever you call us. We prayed in Christ's name and everybody said, that's me. Well, now you're on the hook. Let's look at a generation that finally crossed the river. It's in Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and then verses 15 and 16. And just let me just point out a few things, and then you can read this in more detail later. But as you know, Joshua sent out orders among the people and he gave them this word that whenever you see the ark of the covenant and the Levitical priest carrying it, whenever you see it begin to move, and he's talking about crossing the river, he said, when you begin to see the presence of God move, he said, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Move out. All the tribes of Israel with their standards, he said, move out whenever you see the presence of God moving. In verse 4, he said, though, but keep a distance, about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark, and do not go near this. But when you see it move, I need you to follow it because you've never been this way before. You've never been this way before. You don't know where you're going. You've got to follow the presence of God. But keep a distance between you and the ark. And then in verse 5, he said, now listen, I want you to consecrate yourselves. He said, I want you to consecrate yourself for tomorrow. I want you to consecrate yourself for the great and amazing things that God is getting ready to do. Consecrate yourself. And then down in verse 15, he said to Israel, uh, or it says that the Jordan was at flood stage because this was harvest time. But as soon as the priest who were carrying the ark touched the water's edge, as soon as they touch the edge, the waters begin to stack up. They begin to pile up before the nation of Israel. We're talking about a generation that finally crossed over. And so let me give you just a few things out of this chapter that hopefully will inspire you and motivate you and motivate me to move into this new year and to do everything that God's called us to do. Number one, we know that we have to be a presence-driven people. He said in verse 3 and 4 that orders were released to move out from your position and follow the ark because you've never been this way before. Now, we need to realize that 2020 is a new year for us, and we've never been this way before. And we desperately need to follow the presence of God. We need to move out. When orders are given, when there's marching orders released, the troops need to mobilize, boots on the ground. We need to come in to... The, the, uh, that cadence of, of, of marching, and we need to move out from our positions. There were orders to move in a new direction. 
You have to know that when you see God moving, you must move. Now, that's a simple statement, but it's not simplistic. Whenever you see God move, you need to move. One of the greatest problems we have in the church world today is the mobilization of God's people. God begins to move and the church falls behind. When you begin to see God move, and I believe personally that God is moving in and through our church right now, this is not about me. You have to take ownership of the move that's happening right now. You have to see all that God's doing through cathedral, all that God is doing through not in my city, through United Aid of Southeast Texas, through what we're doing at City Hall, what we're doing through the many ministries of this church, Celebrate Recovery, and that list goes on and on and on. You need to look at what God's doing. You need to see the movement, and you need to move. You need to move out from your position. You need to know that multiple positions must become one movement in God's direction. He said to Israel, whenever you see the ark, whenever you see the presence begin to move, he said, I want all of you move out from your positions because you remember Israel was, would, would camp as a tribe, the tribe of Judah. They would, try, they, would, they would camp as a tribe and you'd see their standards flying in the wind. God said to them, move out from your positions. Move out from where you are. You need to move when God moves, but all of those tribes have to move as one. They have to move as one movement. They have to follow God in his direction. And we have to move as one church. We can't move, uh, we can't operate with disunity and division. There has to be one mind, one accord. There has to be unity in the house. We have to move as one church and go in the direction that God's leading us. If you want something that you've never had, you're going to have to do something that you've never done. You need to move out of your position. You need to move out of your stagnation. You need to move out of your comfort zone. You need to move out of your position. He said to Israel, when you see the presence move, all of you with all of your positions come together and we're going to cross this river. We're going to move together. We're going to be one movement and go in the direction that God points. And you've got to come out of your position. Now, as I was studying this and I was preparing, Holy Spirit began to deal with my heart. And I want you to listen to this word because this word is for someone in this room or, or perhaps also watching on the web. But this is a word for someone and I need you to grab this word because this is a word that God wants you to grab and you'll know who you are when you hear it. You need to know that you're spiritually stuck with restrictive movement that is increasing as your situation continues to dry and harden and time is running out. This is the picture that I saw. Your feet are stuck in the mud. You're spiritually stuck. And it's getting to the point where you see the mud that's around you, it's beginning to dry. And you're going to come to the place where you're encased, you're immobilized, you're not able to move anywhere. You're going to be stuck right where you are. You need to hear your pastor and you need to take this as a word from the Lord speaking to your heart. You're in a dry place. You're spiritually stuck. And it's been hard, but it's getting harder. And you're running out of time. The word for you today is dislodge. The word dislodge means to knock or force out of position. God wants to knock you out of your position. God wants to force you out of your position. God is saying, my ark is on the shoulders of my priest. And I'm getting ready to cross the river. 
I'm getting ready to move into some prophetic, some prophetic promises. And you need to pay attention. When you see God moving, you need to move. And you all need to come out of your different positions, different opinions, different ideals. And it's got to be one movement going in the direction that God is leading us. You've got to come together. You've got to move. You've got to move as one. An army has to move as one. It can't, be, uh, it can't be going in different directions. It has to move as one. And so he said, come out of your positions. Come out of them. Come together. And let's cross this river. And let's move into the promises that God has for us. We've got to do this. It's called being presence-driven. Number two. He said to Israel in our text that you've got to keep a holy gap. Verse four, he said, keep a distance between you and the ark and do not go near it. Israel maintained, maintained a gap of 1,000 yards or what they call a Sabbath day journey. That's ironic that God said a Sabbath day journey. Just keep about 1,000 yards. Now, a holy gap. When you look at this, the gap between the people and the ark, the distance of a Sabbath day reminds us of the high priest and how they wore linen undergarments. We minister on the Sabbath with linen undergarments. The high priest wore them. Linen is the oldest material that is known to man. It's known for its breathing uh, components, its capability. It, it, it's, uh, it breathes real well. And so the word to us, as we look at the high priest who wore linen undergarments, is no sweat. The ministry has to be no sweat. We've got to learn to come into a service like this, and we've got to learn to operate with no sweat. We've got to take our hands off. We got to, we've got to uh, allow God to move. We've got to be presence-driven. We've got to learn uh, uh, to carry more by bearing less when it comes to his presence. Remember, the Ark of the Covenant weighed 1,000 pounds or more, but the Bible says that whenever the shoulders of the Levites hit those poles and they went to pick it up, that there was spiritual assistance and God helped them. The Bible says God helped the Levites carry that Ark. And so when they went into the uh, Jordan River and they went in, the waters began to part and they stood there until some 3 million people crossed over. There was a spiritual assistance and carrying the weight of his presence. They wore linen undergarments, no sweat. You've got to learn to take your hands off of things. I know you want to make things happen for your family, to make things happen for your business, to make things happen for your ministry, to make things happen for your church. But you've got to learn to operate in the arm of the Lord and not the arm of flesh. You've got to learn to put your shoulder to that presence, to put your shoulder to the ministry and let there be supernatural assistance to bear the weight of his presence, to bear the weight of the ministry and let God help you do what you need to do. You can't do it on your own. You need this help, a Sabbath day journey. I'm following the presence of God. It's a Sabbath day journey. And he's telling me, Randy, just keep a little distance here, son. Remember that I will help you if you'll let me. This holy gap speaks of the distance of a Sabbath day, reminding us to follow behind and not get ahead of God. Oh, it's so easy in a service just to get ahead of God. It's so easy in ministry to get ahead of God. It's so easy in business and life and doing and going to get ahead of God. I want to put my hands on it. I want to take charge. When the ark shifted, he reached out his hand and touched it to try to stabilize it. Oh, Jesus, somebody needs to hear this. Try to stabilize that thing. And when he did, it cost him his life. Be careful putting your hand on what God's doing 
putting your hand on the presence of God. Be careful. Men of God, women of God have to be careful. You go into a service and God's trying to move. God's trying to minister. And suddenly we put our hands on the ark. We try to control him. We've got him in a box. We want to be able to carry him and maintain him and limit him and restrict him. And we want to control God. God in a box. We got him in a box. Because when God gets outside the box, it makes us nervous. And so we want to control him. And when things begin to shake and rattle and shift and move and God begins to do things, suddenly we start trying to stabilize the box and stabilize the presence and stabilize what God's doing and control Holy Spirit. And you can't speak in tongues and you can't prophesy and you can't lay hands on people and you can't give an altar call and you, you can't uh, speak truth and you can't and you can't and you can't. And so we try to stabilize the box. And, and whenever we do, listen to me people start to die spiritual death begins to move into a church be careful putting your hand on the box you start telling what God can and can't do we start trying to restrict and control him be careful when God starts moving when God starts moving, I've seen it through the years. I've seen it for, I've seen it all my life. You let God start moving. Let Holy Spirit begin to move. Let revival start stirring and things begin to happen and people start getting nervous. It don't look like I, I once saw it. It don't smell like I once smelled it. It's different. New wine takes new wine skins. And we get nervous when God starts moving in ways that we don't approve of. And he starts doing new things. And suddenly we start stabilizing the box. And when you do, people start dying. Be careful, be careful. Be careful putting your hand on the box. It's the distance of a Sabbath day. Don't get ahead of him. Number three, you need to know that the distance of a Sabbath day reminds us not to become too familiar with the ark. He said, keep a distance between you and the ark and don't go near it. There has to be this sense of a holy awe that we carry with the presence of God. Exodus chapter three, do not come any closer, he said to Moses. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. The taking off of the shoes represents two things. Number one, it means that I am submissive to the deity. Number two, it is a recognition of, of what, where I'm at and who I'm standing before. It's an it's a, uh, act of reverence. Submission, respect, fear, and reverence. Taking off of the shoes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 1 reads... Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. When we come into the house of God, there should be a holy awe about us. We should come in with bated breath. We should come in with an attitude of my shoes are off because I'm submitting to the presence of God and I have a reverence for him. I don't want to have... Uh, I'm not promoting this, this, this uh, legalistic attitude, but I am, I am promoting a reverence for the presence of God. When I come into the house of God, he said, guard your steps. Don't just rush in here with an attitude. Don't just rush in here with a free mouth. Just don't rush in here with anything. You need to leave your stuff outside. You got to check your attitude. You got to check your mouth. You got to check your pornography. You got to check your adultery. You got to check your fornication. You got to truck your, check your addictions. You got you to check it. You got to deal with that stuff when we come in. Listen, now this message right now, this word right now is not for the sinner. 
It's not for our first time guests. This is for the ecclesia. This is for the members of this church. You're held to a higher standard. Don't come in here with your stuff. Get the junk out of your trunk and deal with it. If we're going to be presence driven and if we want revival, if we want to transform the nation, you better deal with your stuff. You got to take your shoes off and come in here with the respect and a reverence and a bated breath and a holy awe. And we got to realize who we're worshiping. Somebody needs to take their shoes off. You got to take your shoes off. I want the prostitute and the drug addict. I want them all to come in here. The adulterer and the fornicator. I want them all to come in here. And I want them to feel like this is a safe place. And this is a place to be accepted and loved. And we'll take them just like they are. The lesbian and the homosexual. We'll take them just like they are. And we'll love them. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to the ecclesia. I'm talking to you and I. The Congress of Heaven that's on planet Earth to legislate kingdom business. You need to take your shoes off. Guard your steps. When entering the sanctuary, guard how you step. Guard how you step for this is holy ground. That's why for 13 years I've encouraged you to guard your mouth. Don't you get out there in the hallway and start criticizing leadership. Don't you do that. You cut that gossip out. You cut that sowing discord. You got a problem, man up. Man up and come say it to my face. Man up and go say it to an elder's face. Man up and go say it to a pastor's face. Man up, go say it to a department head's face. Man up. Don't you do that out in the hallway and grieve the Holy Spirit. Cut that out. Take your shoes off. Man up. Six, two and fine and no spine. Why don't you grow a spine and be a man or a woman of God that's got enough, enough about you to say it to somebody's face. Get off of Facebook. If you ain't got enough guts to say it to their face, who, who says you should be able to say it on Facebook? Facebook is nothing more but a, a platform for people to say things they would never say otherwise. I drank a Red Bull right before I came out here and I probably shouldn't have done that. I'm too old now to care anymore. I just don't care. I... Six, two and fine and no spine. Don't you like that? Just, that just rhymes. We're talking about trying to cross a river. Who's ready to cross a river? For 40 years, Israel looked across that river and just saw the, the land flowing with milk and honey. They just dreamed about it, talked about it, and smelled it, and all oh, they could just taste it, and all oh, they was all excited, but they never crossed. But there was a generation that crossed. But this generation that crossed, I'm trying to help you understand how you can get across that river. How many wants to step into their prophetic promises? How many wants to step into the land of promises? We call it the promised land, but let's call it the land of promises. I'm gonna step in. Well, number one, you've got to be presence-driven because you've never been this way before. Number two, you've got to maintain a distance between you and the ark, that holy awe. Take your shoes off. Understand you've got to have his help to do this. And then number three, you've got to consecrate to the future. You've got to consecrate. He told Israel, he said, listen, in the morning, we're breaking camp. In the morning, we're leaving. In the morning, you're going to pack up. So tonight, consecrate yourself to the future. Consecrate yourself to tomorrow because tomorrow God's going to do amazing things for you. He said it in verse 5. Consecrate yourself. 
So Joshua instructed Israel to consecrate or devote themselves to the future. And this consecration, this consecration, as they're going through this ideal, this thought, and they're contemplating it. Listen, I want to say this to you. Consecrate yourself to 2020. Consecrate yourself to the future. And I understand what's behind you, but you've got to know this. The possibilities of your future are greater than the regrets of your past. So consecrate yourself to your future. You say, Pastor, you don't know what I did last year. Okay, look, we're going to clear it. We're going to clean the slate today. He's the God of a second chance. Again and again and again. Thank God. Thank God. And so today, it's, it's a chance to consecrate yourself to the future. You can just consecrate. You say, I'm going to start fresh today. I'm going to consecrate to the future. And that means that you've got to let go of the past. Your possibilities in front of you are greater than the regrets behind you. They're greater. Greater possibilities. So you got to let it go right now. Today's a fresh start. We're going to start new today. You need to know that yesterday's method will not secure tomorrow's victory. You say, ooh, but God moved last year. Yeah, but that's good. That's done. You're going to have to move into something new now. New, new wine takes new wineskin. What he did yesterday ain't going to work tomorrow. See, we get stuck in methodology. We get stuck in that. God's message never changed. But we get stuck in methodology. Jesus will appear on the mount and just show us the glory. And the first thing we want to do is build a monument. We want to build something. And we lock in. And that's where we stay for 100 years. But God is saying, I'm getting ready to do something new, and you better get on board. Listen, you've got to move into 2020 and what God wants to do in your life. You need to know that men of vision are forward-looking men who build in the future. They don't build in the past. They build in the future. Hebrews 11, look at it. By faith, Abraham called to a place that he would later receive, obeyed and went now notice this, underline, by faith, he made his home in the promised land. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Notice that by faith, he built his home in the future. He built his home in the promised land. You need to build in the future. You need to build in the future. You need to think future. You need to dream future. You need to have a vision for future. You need to think tomorrow. You need to build. We need to build in the future. We got to quit thinking in the past. You see, in our culture, in our society, we think inheritance. Oh, I want to get an inheritance. I want to leave an inheritance. In God's kingdom, he thinks generational. He is constantly investing in the future, investing in tomorrow, building for tomorrow, building for the next generation, building for sons and daughters, building in the future. We need to build in the future and quit worrying about the past. You got to think by faith, let us build on our future. Excuse me. Let us build our future on our promises. Let us build our future on our promises. Now listen, that's a, that's a statement I want you to grab. If God says, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm, I promise you this, and I prophesy to you this, that's where we need to build. We need to build on the promises of our future. Amen. That's where, if God says to us, I'm going to move through this church, okay, I'm going to bring revival and move through this church, then we need to be a people that are positioning, 
posturing, preparing, getting ready for a move of God. We need to be a people that are presence driven. If he says to us, and we've had word after word after word after word that God is going to move in and through this church, if that's true, then we need to build on those promises and we need to prepare ourselves by being presence driven, sensitive to Holy Spirit. Today, our worship went for about an hour. That's unheard of in America. Oh my God. But they ain't a handful of pastors that are, that are willing to let that go. 15 minutes, 15. One local church, they, they go 12 minutes. But the worship leader is told, if Holy Spirit starts moving, you get two more. Two more minutes. So Holy Spirit, do anything you want to do in those two minutes. Anything you want to do. We got the box. We're going to control the box. We're going to limit God, restrict God. Whoever, who goes an hour? I'll tell you one church that does. It's in Beaumont, Texas. And if you don't like it, I am so sorry. This church may not be for you. You got to let that thing percolate and cook sometimes. So we have to, by faith, build our future on our promises. Number four, you okay? Take a deep breath. The worst is behind you. Well, no, that's not true. Okay. Number four, we're talking about a generation that crossed the river and what it took. What it took, presence-driven, holy gap, consecrated to the future. What are you prepared to do? Number four, in order to cross over, I'm ready to cross. I'm ready to cross. you got to touch the water's edge. Verse 15, 16. When their feet touched the water's edge, the water stopped flowing and piled up. So you have to live on the edge. How many is willing to live on the edge? I said it to you years ago. If you're not living on the edge, you're taking up way too much room. <laughs> Live on the edge. You ready? Here we go. Living on the edge. People who are willing to touch the water's edge when it's at flood stage, they're the ones that perform miracles. And remember, it said it was harvest time, flood stage, and that's Joshua has to be standing there thinking, God, you picked the worst possible time to cross this thing. Why now? Flood stage. God says, now. Now, get on the edge. Think about that. When things seem to be the darkest, when things seem to be the worst, when things seem to be out of control, when things seem to be out of the banks, when things, things seem to be going crazy, it's then that God says, touch the edge. But God, this is the worst possible time for me to do this. Touch the edge. But God, you don't understand how busy I am. Touch the edge. But, but Father, you don't get it. The economy's down. Touch the edge. But God, you don't understand what we're going through. Touch the edge. When it's the worst, that's when God says, get on the edge and watch me do a miracle. People of faith know that what they believe is bigger than what they see and are willing to take it to the edge. People that live on the edge. Listen, you will never know your full potential apart from a life of faith. You'll never know it. People that are living on the edge. So here's the word for the day. When you take it to the edge, your faith will flip the flow. Understand that. He said, when he said, 
it's out of the banks. It's at flood states. He said, go ahead and touch the edge and your faith will flip the flow. The flow will go the other direction. I'm telling you, no matter, listen, you say I'm in a bad time. This is the time to touch the edge. This is the time for your faith to move out. This is the time for you to do something you've never done so you can have something you've never had. This is the time for your faith to flip the flow. Somebody say it with me. I'm taking it to the edge and God's going to flip the flow. We're talking about a generation that crossed the river. And this is what it took. Four things. Four things. Presence driven. They kept a holy awe. They consecrated themselves to the future. They said, this is it. This is it. We're crossing the river. It may cost us our lives, but we're crossing the river. And they dared to touch the edge. When it seemed the worst, when everything was going squirrely on them, that's when you touch the edge. But I want to ask you a question. If we're willing to touch the edge, if we're willing to consecrate ourselves to tomorrow, if we're willing to honor and reverence God, if we're willing to be presence-driven, then what stands between you and your promises? What stands between this church and its future? What stands there? In Joshua chapter 5, in verse 1 through 9, he's preparing the people for the promised land. There were two things that he did. You remember Circumcision, communion. They're going to circumcise themselves. They're going to commit themselves to the future. Okay? A covenant, circumcision, covenant Passover. So the fifth thing that has to happen for us to cross the river is that you have to roll away the past. Because he said in verse 9 of Joshua 5, Today, I have rolled away the reproach of your past. Now, listen to me. I, I can't linger here because I'm out of time. But you understand the purpose of circumcision. Number one, it's a covenant sign that set the nation of Israel apart. Number two, it's the removal of flesh where uncleanness can hide. So we must take control of our flesh before we can be given control of God's promises. So you've got to cut it off. You've got to cut off the flesh. You've got to remove it. You've got to cut it away. Before God can trust you with the future, trust you with the promised land, you've got to deal with your flesh. Gilgal, where they, where they perform this circumcision, it means to roll away. He was rolling away the reproach of the past, the reproach of Israel. They carried this disgrace of slavery. They'd been in slavery for years to Egypt, and there was this, there was this shame. They went through the wilderness experience, and you remember all the things they did there that was wrong. And then they had the opportunity to cross at Kadesh Barnea, and they refused to enter in. And so they've got all this stuff they're carrying, all these memories and 
these stories that were told from father to son, mother to daughter, they've got all this. And, and he's saying, here, listen, we're, we're going to cut this away. We're, we're going to circumcise everyone that grew up in the wilderness because the generation that came out of Egypt had been circumcised. But the sons and daughters that were there in the wilderness, they were not circumcised. And so they come here to the, to the Jordan River, and, and he's saying, listen, we, we need to take this land, but we, we've got to deal with some things. We've got to, we've got to cut away the, the flesh. We, we've got to cut away the carnality. We've got to let go, and I'm going, to, I'm going to roll off of you the reproach of yesterday, the sins of commission, things that you did were wrong, and sins of omission, things you didn't do. And he said, I'm, I'm, we've got to just cut this away, and we're going to let this go. And then with fresh faith, a new faith you can enter in. And Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 16 He said, therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. I want to ask you, what stands between you and the promised land? you got to cut that off. Listen, there were two generations in this story. The first generation, they had circumcision but no faith. Let's call that legalism. The second generation had faith, their sons and daughters, but they had no circumcision We'll call that liberalism. Two generations. One followed the law, but they didn't have the faith to enter in the promised land. The next generation had the faith to enter in, but there was too much flesh, too much carnality in their lives, and he said, i got to cut that away. Think of that. Our forefathers got caught up in legalism, but they never could move into revival because it didn't look right, smell right. It was uncomfortable with it. Our sons and daughters are eager and zealous and ready to follow God, but yet there's too much carnality there. And so there has to be a balance between these two generations. So with fresh faith and the rediscovered covenant of their parents, the Joshua generation stepped into the promised land. Speaking of the first generation, it's wisdom they have. Speaking of the second generation, it's zeal they have. So the young generation, it's zeal they have, it's wisdom they need. And so when we begin to move as a generational church, we have the wisdom of the old and the zeal of the young. If they're not together, we end up with legalism or we end up with liberalism. Am I making any sense to anybody? But when the two come together, suddenly we have circumcision that cuts away the carnality, but we have the faith that's ready to take the land. So I want to ask you again, what stands between you and the promised land? What is it? What's standing between you? Let's look at Matthew 5, and then let's, let's look at it a little bit differently. He said... And if you're, you fill in the blank. And if your causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose that or it or her or him than for your whole body to go into hell. Fill it in. You say, well, 
I'm just oversexed. Well, and if your sex drive causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose that than lose your whole body into hell. You say, well, I just can't help myself. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can help yourself. You can. Are you, are you tracking with me? You say, well, I, I've just got this addiction. Cut it off. Well, I've got this attitude. Cut it off. I've got this problem with pride. Cut it off. I've got this problem with greed. Cut it off. I've got this problem with lust. Cut it off. I've got this problem. Cut it off. You say, cut it off. Here's a word that you don't hear preached in churches anymore. It's called discipline. We have to lovingly come along this, come alongside this young generation and teach them that it's faith you have, it's zeal you have, but it's wisdom you need. You've got the faith, but now you need circumcision. You grew up in a wilderness. You grew up in a wild time, but you, you, don't, you, don't have the, you don't know the covenant of circumcision. And you need to circumcise your heart. You need to cut away the flesh. You need to cut away the carnality. You need to cut away the lust. You need to cut away the addiction. You need to cut away the pornography. You need to cut away the greed. You need to cut it away. You got to deal with the flesh before you can deal with the promises. If we're undisciplined and out of control, why in heaven's name would God give us the promised land? So he said to Israel, listen, before you go in, you got to cut it off. Before you can possess it, you got to cut it away. Before you go in and take my promises, you're going to deal with your flesh and deal with your carnality. You got to deal with this thing. If you can't control yourself, why would I give you control of my promises? Think of that. You've got to cut it off. Stephen, come help me. Now, I understand the sovereignty of God. And there are certain things that are going to happen. Okay? Get, I get, set that aside. Let me say it again then. A prophecy to you, a promise to you, it's not what will happen. A prophecy is what God intends to happen. And you have to come in alignment with him in alignment with that promise. The Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, but you're going to have to call. You have to bring yourself in alignment with that. So today's questions Concerning your future, what are you prepared to do? Are you willing to take it to the edge and flip the flow? Now listen to me. For those who follow you. Did, did you get that? High priest, covenant, presence, driven. The river's out of its banks, flood stage. The worst time of the year to cross the river. God says, go to the edge and touch the water. And when they did, a nation followed behind them. Are you willing to take it to the edge so your children and your children's children can follow you? Are you willing to take it to the edge 
so your church, your community, your nation can follow you? Are you willing to live life like that, significant, and move out of survival? Are you ready to take it to the edge and flip the flow for those who follow? Third question, what stands between you and your prophetic promises? Whatever it is, you need to cut it off. Deal with the foreskin, the Bible said, of your heart. That place where uncleanness can hide, you need to cut away that carnality, cut away that flesh. You need to cut that away so that you can go into the promised land and God can trust you with tomorrow. It's 2020. It's a 2020 vision. It requires three-dimensional view. The past, the future, and you and I being that present reality that brings ourselves in alignment with God so that we can bridge between what he promised and what he wants to do. It's time. Thank you for listening to the Cathedral Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit icathedral.org.